0: Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend, Jason Conforto. Welcome to the podcast, Jason.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Um, Just by introduction, we're going to talk about a film that um, Jason works. He's a co-producer at Avalanche Studios. He's going to talk about a film called Dog Valley. I'll let him introduce that film and how it came about. But most of this podcast is going to be about this film, Um, that does talk about a gay man that um, was murdered here in Utah, if I'm using the right vocabulary, in about 1988. And the reason that people have stepped forward and want to share this story to help us do better. Um, Jason is an active member of the LDS Church. He's also a father of a gay son, so he's in many circles that connect with this issue. He's also, we won't talk about this too much at this point, but he's also put together some support groups Within his LDS area um, support groups for families with LGBTQ children, as well as support group for LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. So, I became aware of Jason a couple of years ago, and just admire the work he's doing um, to bring more understanding in multiple circles about the general theme of how to better support LGBTQ people. Is that okay for an introduction?
1: That's great. Do awesome in these. Oh, well, can I add one thing Please, to the introduction? I'd love I'm to, also. You to do that. I'm also a, uh, a big listener to this podcast. So I'm, uh, I'm one of your, uh, your several thousand who's bl- listened to every episode and it's been a, uh, uh, a huge blessing in my life. So thank you so much for the, uh, the work you do and, and having me on today. I appreciate that.
0: Well, thank you, Jason. And, uh, it's hard for me to take compliments. I usually just think of all the brave guests that step forward. They, the ones that I think Jason's really complimenting, but thank you for the compliment to me and people that have bravely share step forward and share their stories. So yeah, just tell us about this film. Um, this podcast is coming out in October. So listeners are hearing in October. Just I'll turn it over to you, Jason.
1: Yeah. So, uh, dog Valley is a, uh, it's a feature length documentary, uh, about the, uh, the death of Gordon church. Um, we actually, uh, uh, we we get approached a lot at avalanche studios to uh to produce feature-length films or or documentaries and and uh i would say 99 percent of the time every time we get approached to do a project uh there's no funding uh involved and and we're just not an organization that that can fund every project that comes our way and and do that um but in 2016 um, uh, a man came to our uh, our studios. His name is Chad Anderson. He's one of the producers on uh, Dog Valley. Uh, Chad is not a filmmaker. Chad is a uh, a therapist, uh, and uh, he was a member of the church. Uh, he is uh, he's gay, and uh, one of the things that he did after he came out and moved to Utah was look up uh, hate crimes against uh, uh, LGBTQ individuals. And he came across uh, the story of Gordon Church, which was one of the most horrific uh, hate crimes that we have uh, ever had in the state of Utah and frankly in the nation. Um, and uh, it's very similar. I don't know if you're familiar with the Matthew Shepard yeah. story. Yes. So it's, it's very similar to the Matthew Shepard story. It took place uh, about a decade before Matthew Shepard was killed. And uh, unlike the Matthew Shepard story, um, it wasn't told, it, it was kind of, uh, hidden a little bit and, which is a shame and, and really a lot of, um, a, ro- a lot of credit needs to go to Matthew Shepard's mother, uh, for making her son's story known. And, uh, uh, and that didn't happen in the case of Gordon church. Um, so Chad came to us with this story. He had, uh, he had no budget to, uh, to make this film, but when we heard, um the story of Gordon Church uh we knew that we needed to be involved uh we being uh myself and Dave Lindsay Dave Lindsay is the owner of Avalanche Studios uh he and I are the producers there and and uh Dave Lindsay uh directed Dog Valley so uh really it was kind of a a three man team effort for this film and and uh and then we've got assistance from dozens of other people who helped us make this film possible
0: yeah Uh, Maybe our listeners are familiar with this story, but I've lived in Utah all my life, pretty much, and I've never heard this story. And I have heard Matthew Shepard's story, and that story is just crushing when you hear that story. So I assume this story is equally painful, but I think stories honor people and help us do better. Not honor the bad guys in the story, but the people, the victims of the story and the family and all the people that are affected. So I'm glad you've done this. Tell us more about A Gordon Church or more about the film itself.
1: Yeah, um, but I'll I'll just share the the Gordon Church story with you a little bit. Uh, some of the facts I do want to point out that uh, this story is graphic in nature. Um, in the film, we try to do our very best to be uh, respectful of what happened to him. Um, we wanted to make sure that that his death wasn't entertainment. Right, that his death was something that we could learn from. Uh, that we could. Um, uh, that we can use as a, as a tool for social change and uh, making this world a safer place for those who are LGBTQ. Um, but uh, I'll go through the story, I'll probably soften it uh, a little bit. Um, but in, uh, in 1988, in Southern Utah, in Cedar City, uh, Gordon Church, who was a, uh, a gay young man, he was 28 years old at the time. Um, on the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, uh, he was supposed to meet with some friends and, uh, and spend some time with them. And, uh, he went to a gas station, a seven 11 in Cedar city, uh, to pick up some, uh, some cigarettes and some, uh, Mountain Dew, I believe it was. And, uh, while he was at the gas station, uh, two men approached him. Uh, uh, Lance Wood and, uh, Michael Archuleta, who happened to both, uh, be on, par- uh, parole. Um, they were, uh, uh, they were out, uh, looking for trouble that night and, uh, and they asked Gordon for a ride and, uh, and Gordon took them, uh, through town and then they ended up going, uh, up the Canyon in Cedar city there. And, uh, when they got to the Canyon, that's when the assault began. Um, they, uh, they, they cut Gordon, uh, with a knife, uh, in his throat. Uh, they broke his arm. Uh, they sexually assaulted, uh, him. He was raped at that location. Uh, and they, they beat him there. And, uh, and then they, uh, wrapped him in, uh, tire chains and put him in the trunk of Gordon's own car and uh and they realized at that moment that they were in trouble they didn't know they didn't know what to do uh they had this this guy bound up in in the back of the car and um they they ran through a few ideas of what they could do to get out get themselves out of trouble and uh they decided to drive up to bountiful utah to to drive the uh, the vehicle over a cliff and and then hopefully the body would never be found uh they made it as far as um, about 45 minutes to an hour north uh in uh uh, mile marker 138 uh right near cove fort just the exit past cove fort just north of there uh that exit is called dog valley it's the dog valley exit i don't know if you've ever been there i'm I'm sure you've driven past it on the way to st george or or whatnot, but there's nothing there. It's just um, it's just an exit. No services, no nothing. And uh, they pulled off to the side of the road. Um, there, um, uh, they drove about a, a quarter mile uh, where the car couldn't be seen, and uh, and they pulled uh, Gordon out of the out of the trunk of the car, and um, and uh, they. Uh, beat him to death there um they uh they did some other things to them there that that uh classify as torture uh as well and um and then they they took his body and they they laid it under a uh a cedar tree and uh covered his body with with uh dirt and uh and branches. And took Gordon's car and drove up to Salt Lake and, uh, and left him there. So that's, that's kind of the nuts and bolts of, uh, of his story. And, and, and again, softened for, for you and your viewers, but,
0: um, that's real life beyond real life. Um, I think it's really good. People understand the story. How has dog Valley impacted you, Jason, um, and your relationship with your son, Jameson?
1: Yeah. So, um, we started this project in 2016, uh, and and it took us about five years to complete the film. Um, in 2018, um, my son came out as, as gay and, uh, and he met with me and, and my wife and told us and, uh, and a few months after that. And he also came out publicly and, and, uh, and that actually was, and then I don't want to go too deep into that experience, but that was a, a beautiful experience for our family and a life-changing experience for our, our family. Um, but uh, a few months after he came out, uh, he decided that he wanted to attend school at uh, SUU. And, uh, and we moved him down to the, the dorms there. And uh, his dorm was about a block away from the, uh, the 7-Eleven. It's a Maverick station now uh, where Gordon church was, was first abducted. Uh, and so it it was roughly 30 years, um, from the time that, that Gordon church was abducted down there and, and, uh, killed for being gay, uh, that I was taking my own gay son and, uh, and leaving him in that city so close to that, uh, that area. And, um, as a parent, that's hard, you know, it's very hard. It, It was hard enough. Um, uh, having him out of our home and out of our protection, uh, and then to, uh, bring him to a city that I was very familiar with through the story of Gordon church and filming the documentary. Um, I think that's one of, uh, one of the moments where this story, uh, really became real for me. Um, uh, but I think it's, I, I think it's obvious too, that, that the world has changed since 1988. I think it's a much better place. I think it's a much safer place um, i uh, I worry for my son, but in different ways and for for different reasons um, and uh and I think um, um you know as we showed this film to uh, to viewers, we had a lot of screenings that were just for uh, uh LGBTq audiences to get their thoughts and their impressions and to make sure that we were um representing them uh correctly and properly and and uh, a lot of these people that we shared the film with um are people that have built up our community and made it a, a better place and, and I remember telling uh, an audience of of them once that uh it was because of the work that they had done that my son was um was in a safer world down in Cedar City than Gordon Church was uh, 30 years before him.
0: That's a um, pretty personal part of a tragedy um, to think about your own son there. I, I'm thinking you, your wife, and Jameson could probably give an hour podcast on just what this means to be at Cedar City. Some natural anxiety, but why you feel it's the right place. Yeah.
1: And, uh, you know, I've, uh, my wife has seen, I've seen the film dozens and dozens of times I'm, my wife has seen it a handful of times as we've gone to festivals and other stuff but uh uh I've asked Jameson if he'd like to see the film and and uh and he has he has declined to to see it just cuz it's so hard it's so painful um you know we make movies for audiences to 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 see and to learn uh, and to grow from um but Dog Valley is one of those films that is it's just hard. It's, it's from beginning to end. It's a hard, hard story. And, uh, I think you walk away from the film, uh, seeing a lot of good in the world. Um, but, but you have to travel through a lot of bad, uh, in this movie to get to some moments that are, are very beautiful and and touching.
0: Um, talk about Gordon church. Um, I think you've inferred he was murdered because he was gay. Just talk about, Um, the murder, um, he's gay, but talk about his sexual orientation being part of the murder.
1: Yeah. So he, um, um, he was gay, but he was not out. And, uh, and so he had, uh, you know, like many gay individuals back in the eighties, a very, uh, dualistic and separated life where he would, um, he would present as straight and try to, uh to not let people know for his own safety that that he was uh that he was gay and then he had his friends uh that he could actually be himself with and we uh we interviewed a handful of those people in this documentary who knew him at that age when he was um uh out to them and uh and including one of his boyfriends uh at the time and and uh, that's a that's a touching um, interview to see um, what he had to say about, uh, about his love for Gordon and how painful, uh, this was for him to, to lose Gordon. But yeah, so he was, he was walking that, that line where he had to, um, he, he had to take risks, especially when it was, came to relationships. Uh, you know, we, we, um, we also interviewed, uh, Lance Wood in this documentary, who's one of the two, uh, two killers. And Lance would talk about how he would go to graveyards uh, to uh, and to he he put it as roll queers, which was mean to 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 beat up those people who were gay and and he would go to graveyards to do this because if you were gay in the eighties, you literally had nowhere to go to meet people publicly. And so they would go to places like graveyards and other areas where they knew they could be safe, they could be alone, and they could um, not have judging eyes on them. And, and it wasn't just graveyards, but that, that's what Lance Wood uh, told the story of. And so when, um, when uh, Gordon met these men uh, at the gas station, uh, we're under the assumption that, that there was a flirtatious uh, exchange. And, uh, and Gordon thought he would be safe with them. Um, but, uh, but it became clear that they were there to take advantage of him and, um, and ultimately kill him because he was gay.
0: That's what I figured, but I appreciate you just sharing more of that story. And I assume they wouldn't have taken him up to the canyon if he was straight. It would have been a whole different experience because they probably interacted with lots of straight guys. Right. In those situations, but they took advantage of this and sounds like they were proactively looking at times as part of the culture, part of their wiring to to inflict harm. Yeah.
1: And, you know, um, one of the things that I learned in this documentary that that surprised me um, and and I don't want to excuse either of these men for. For anything that, that they did because their acts against Gordon were inexcusable. Agreed. Um, but, um, they were also victims. They, they, um, uh, Michael Archuleta for, for example, uh, he was adopted, uh, when he was a young boy and taken from, uh, bounced around at families. And by the time he got to the Archuleta family, um, they described how he had burn marks down his legs. Um, they they described kind of uh, uh, an, a sexual assault against him when he was a teenager. And, uh, and again, not to excuse what he did, um, but these men came from, um, from painful backgrounds and, and they did not know how to cope. With the pain that they were dealing with, and so they they chose to lash out and continue that and and I've noticed that um, you know a lot of trials in our lives can can last for moments, but but sometimes big ones can last for for decades, but there are uh, I've learned that there are trials that can be generational that that can last and impact families for generations and generations and uh, and their stories it um, started before. Uh, they came around and and have certainly impacted lives beyond um, what they'll experience in this life, and um, and it's a real shame. Um, the The Archuleta family uh, they declined all media uh, interviews for thirty years. Um, they met with Chad Anderson, our our producer, in, in person and uh, had a great conversation with them or with him, and then uh, and then declined to do an interview with us. Uh, I reached out a couple times to uh, to Michael Archuleta's sister, and uh, she got back to me and said, "You know what? We we do want to share our story." And uh, we were able to to conduct the only interview with uh, Michael Archuleta's mother, uh, who is a wonderful woman. She actually passed away about a month or two after we interviewed her, um, but you can see her love for her little boy who. Who did something so stupid and so evil and so wrong, and yet it doesn't change the fact that um, that that's her little boy that, that she loves, and uh, the thought of him being executed just hurts their family so bad. And again, they know they know he should be punished. They know that what he did was evil. They they even have gay family members. That they want protected, but it doesn't change the fact that that they are in pain, thinking about what's going to eventually happen to uh, uh, to their son and, and brother. And uh, I wasn't expecting to experience that during the the process of this film. It's it's pretty easy uh, going into a story like this with with hatred in your heart or for individuals who are so evil and have done such horrible things. But, um, but yeah, I I learned a lot and I grew a lot from that as well.
0: It's a great segment, very spontaneous segment, Jason, but makes me want to see the movie and have a more nuanced view of, of people that commit crimes. I agree with everything you said. We need to hold them accountable, but their families and injured and, Pained people often hurt people, hurt people, hurt people. And when you talked about um, Michael's mom who's passed away, I have to think you were talking a little bit about how heavenly parents feel about all of their children. Um, and the way you described how she feels about her son, You still, she still recognized all the evil, but she still had overarching love for, <laughs> for Archuleta overreaching, or whatever the right word is, love for her son. And I have to think that's how our heavenly parents feel about all of us. Um, talk, yeah. talk about just different elements of the film that you want to continue to talk about. Interviews, recreation, news clips, court proceedings. There's a lot of moving parts to put together a film that's based on a long police story.
1: Yeah, it, it, we did. Uh, we, there was a lot of work that went into it. All those things that that you mentioned. One of the one of the um, uh, moments that was very beneficial for our film was working with the Millard Counter County uh, uh, Police Department. Um, they gave us full access to all of the um, all of the um, crime scene photos the uh the the evidence the clothes that were being worn by by gordon and by um both of them the the killers and and uh we had access to all that that stuff uh they didn't give us but we were able to film it and then and then take copies of the the digital stuff um including a um a uh, a videotape that they made the day after the murder uh lance wood uh, knew he was going to get in trouble, knew he was going to get caught. So he went to the police department and tried to blame the whole thing on Michael Archuleta. And so they brought him back to the, the scene of the crime. Uh, and that's how they found the body is because Lance Wood took them there. And, uh, and there we have footage of Lance at the location the day after laughing and joking and, and talking about this experience. And the police officers kind of clued on pretty fast that that this guy was not normal. And, and the, the story that he was, uh, telling them wasn't adding up. And so it went from him being a witness to one of the prime suspects of the, uh, of the, the murder, um, <clears throat> something really neat about the, the, uh, the police department. I think, um, I think if you were to put in your mind, you know, a small county, southern Utah, 1988 uh, police department, you'd think uh, you'd think Hicks. You'd think people that were probably not that kind to the LGBTQ community, uh, maybe. Um, but there's a moment in this film where, um, where one of the police officers describes uh, his day when he was uh, when they found Gordon's body and next to Gordon's body um was Gordon's uh, driver's license and he picked it up and he saw the address in uh, Delta Utah and his first reaction um I think was so beautiful cuz he said this is one of ours he he knew that that it wasn't some transient drug drug deal that that went wrong but it was somebody that they had an obligation to protect and uh that night they weren't able to protect uh gordon and it hit him and it hurt him um, that this happened to to one of their own and uh and then their their role came to seeking justice for one of their own and uh, i love that I, I wish i wish all of us um could recognize the lgbtq people in our lives and uh and say they're one of us they're one of our own right they need to be loved and protected and and encircled just like the rest of us right and and we have that obligation to to bring them into our fold and our in our circle and uh you know if a hick police officer in 1988 in southern utah can recognize uh, that I think clearly, the rest of us can today. We can go. Yeah, these are these are our people. They belong to us. We need to love them. We need to include them, and we need to offer the same services and protection to them that we would anybody else in
0: our community. It's pretty moving. Pretty real life. Do you want to talk more about solving the crime? You kind of got into that. I was curious about how the police would find um Gordon and and ha- just talk more about anything you want to talk about as far as solving the crime
1: yeah so uh so these uh these police officers um once they they clued on to um to Lance Wood, and there's something off there going on. Uh, he moved from a a witness to a suspect uh they apprehended um, Michael Archuleta as well, and then they started interviewing. These individuals and they recorded the interviews and we have those interviews in our our documentary as well, where we can hear them just days after the murder, uh, trying to pin, uh, everything on each other. And so, uh, in the end, they, they found evidence. Um, these, these were smart police officers. Some of them even had FBI training, uh, that allowed them to, uh, to look at blood splatter and and other things to prove who was where doing what and when and uh and because of what they did uh, at the crime scene and taking their time and and methodically doing their job um they built a uh, a case a very strong case against both uh michael archuleta and uh and lance wood and um and they had two different obviously. It's, two individuals so they they have their own uh trials um in the end uh, Michael archuleta uh who was uh Hispanic and uh and Catholic um and uh and he was the one that we believe um uh did most of the um um, um I, I, we use the term killing blow and and that kind of stuff he he was probably the the bigger aggressor uh, and also was the one who raped, uh, Gordon church. He ended up getting, uh, the death penalty, um, for, uh, for this crime. Um, uh, Lance Wood, who grew up in an LDS family and is white. Um, he, uh, it, it looked like, um, like he, he presented himself as, as, um, as a victim in this crime as well, that he was afraid of, of Michael archuleta He he created stories that pretending that Michael archuleta and, and Gordon Church knew each other before this night and and uh and tried to to defend himself uh that way. Um and he ended up getting a life sentence. Um and there's a very big difference between living on death row for uh mm. uh and the way you're treated and what freedoms you have and then a uh a life sentence in a minimum security prison both are awful. It's not like, it's not like these people are, or have a, a very fulfilling life, but, but they did have very different outcomes. I think one of the scariest things though, is, uh, Lance Wood is very charismatic and, uh, and, and he has a, an ability to manipulate individuals into doing, uh, what he wants them to do. And, uh, and we saw um, him manipulating Michael Archuleta into, into a lot of this crime and pushing him towards that, uh, since he's been in prison, he's been involved in all sorts of things in prison. They've, they've bounced him around to several prisons. He's been involved in, in, in cases where he has had affairs with, uh, with prison guards. And, uh, and, um, when a prisoner, and a guard have a, a a sexual relationship. It's, it's considered rape because of the, uh, um, uh, position of power that the guards are in. And so he's been involved in lawsuits for, for rape against him from female guards. And, but it, it becomes pretty clear that, um, that Lance is very, very good at manipulating individuals. And, uh, and, uh, and that's a, that's a dangerous, uh, uh man and and he has the ability to to walk uh free someday on parole. So um yeah.
0: I learned a lot there. Um I learned that if I have a life se- I'm not planning on any of these paths, <laughs> but I learned a life sentence with parole. My experience in prison is different than a death sentence, it's just my day to day living.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'd always assumed that those would be the same day to day living, but that's um I don't know if you want to talk about your feelings about um, what what the right justice would have been if you were on the jury or any feelings about the death penalty that you sort of have the totality and you have a lot of family insights. And ma- I don't want to say the jury didn't, but you have a perspective here with so many pieces of the whole story. I don't know if you want to share any feelings about just how well justice was served here or not yeah i think i think
1: um i have a lot of conflicting thoughts uh, <laughs> on that and, and i think it's fair that my mind gets to change a lot and has a lot during this uh, this experience um i will say this um justice was served to a degree and these men are off the street they are paying uh, and probably will be paying for the rest of their lives. And in the case of Michael Archuleta, will be paying with his life. Um, and so, uh, justice was served to, to an extent. And, uh, um, I, uh, before this documentary started, I, I wouldn't have said I was pro death penalty, but I wasn't against the death penalty, um, and didn't have strong thoughts. um. When I heard the crime against Gordon Church, I was upset that both of these men didn't receive the death penalty. And then when I sat in uh, um, Michael's mother's living room with, uh, with his mom and his sister and heard their love for him and how much pain they're going through, um, my heart was softened for them. And, uh, and right now I'll say I'm conflicted and, uh, and I'm okay being conflicted on this. I, uh, I'm glad I wasn't on the jury. Um, I hope to never be on anyone's jury. I hope to never, uh, have that experience, but, um, but yeah, I I'm, I'm definitely conflicted by, uh, by what happened.
0: It's a really good nuanced answer. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. I was just, uh, you know, sometimes, um, one of, the, uh, one of the problems with a, a case like this is the only thing we ever hear about Gordon Church is when Michael Archuleta has a uh, execution date coming up because, because we, um, we put so much attention on the death penalty and execution. And so Gordon Church is actually only in the news when, um, uh, when something is happening to Michael Archuleta. And, uh, one of the things we want to do with this documentary is, is bring his story to life. Um, his boyfriend in, um, in the, the documentary calls this his coming out story, which is so beautiful and so awful that, that this is the way that, uh, that Gordon church came out publicly to the world was, was having to come out in, uh. In this manner, and having his life uh, taken from him, and then uh, paraded in front of uh, the news and and juries and courts and and uh, you know people even there was there was uh, one of his friends who was called to testify, and the only question they asked her was was Gordon Church gay, and she said yes, and then they uh, they let her go, and um, you know that's that's not it's not a fair way to come out and uh but i'm glad his story does get to to be told and uh and that he has people speaking for him in this uh in this documentary and those people are his his friends but also those people are the police officers we interviewed half a dozen police officers that that worked the crime and um you can tell they did their very best to uh honor gordon church there's a there's a couple other people i want to talk about um when we um uh when we filmed this we wanted to most of its interviews and and photos from crime scenes and and uh, or audio recordings um but we did um uh shoot some recreation of the actual event which was um probably the most horrific film shoot i've ever been involved in and, um, and casting the roles of Gordon church and, uh, and Michael Archuleta and Lance Wood was very, uh, difficult because, uh, we had to invite men into our studios to represent Lance and, and, uh, and Michael, and there's no script, you know, we're not feeding them lines We're we're seeing how they can react to a situation. And, and giving them situations to act on and uh and seeing how violent they they can be and uh and as actors uh in this role they would say things that were so painful and so hurtful uh to hear and yet we were shielded filmmakers who this wasn't directed towards right we were um Gordon Church lived that moment in ways that that we only were feeling it feeling an echo of in in the auditions in the end uh we also uh I believe we only auditioned one person for Gordon Church and he was a a gay actor one of the most talented actors in in Utah uh Joseph Bronca I think I'm saying his last name right Bronca um he uh he's a, he's a small man, just like Gordon. And, uh, we took him out. Uh, we filmed for two nights, one in Cedar city in the Canyon, right. Where the first, uh, um, um, the first attack took place and then all through the night in at dog Valley at the second location. And, um, and it was a cold night and, uh, Joseph, uh, they had very little clothing on to uh to protect him just like Gordon and uh he was wrapped in chains and and um just to see um the the dedication that Joseph had to to playing this role right especially knowing that uh as an actor you want to have your face shown you want to you want to be known for your work and we were trying to avoid faces and and this this young man just gave the performance of a lifetime, yeah. And just so he could pay tribute um, to to Gordon Church that he had never met, he hadn't heard his story. And uh, even during the the shooting, um, he uh, he was pushed to his knees at, at one point, and uh, and his knee split open on the the rocks, and uh, and uh, he had. Uh, He didn't want to tell anybody because he didn't want to stop production and slow everything down. And and for him, it was also like, I I can survive uh, a cut knee to to do this for for Gordon. And uh, and he just gave a a beautiful uh, performance. The two other men, uh, they gave a very painful performance to see the, the hate in in them. And in fact, their performance was so convincing that as a producer, I felt like I had to protect Joseph from these two other actors, uh, that were so good. Um, but these, these men were also allies and, uh, and had to, to say and do things that were disgusting to them and, and painful for them, uh, to do. But that was a, um, that was a very, um, uh, difficult shoot uh, for us to experience and, and just the thought, you know, our, our, our mind always goes back to, uh, to Gordon in the, the trunk of the car during that, uh, that hour drive in the, in the cold, you know, late November, uh, driving in the middle of the night, wrapped in chains, um, not knowing what was going to happen to him, not knowing if he was going to be killed, if he was going to be tortured. Uh, not knowing if they were going to let him go, uh, riding in the back of his own car, surrounded by his his own things, and and being trapped. Um, we um, I, I also want to talk about the the name of the film as well. Dog Valley. Um, it took us a while to 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 name the film. It, it didn't come to us right away. Um, but Dog Valley is named after the uh, the prairie dogs. Uh, that are in that valley there. And, and I guess back in the day there, it was just covered in prairie dogs and they'd go out and they would shoot these, uh, these prairie dogs to get them off the, the land. And, and um, I, uh, I think about these, these uh, prairie dogs who are just, just treated so poorly. Right. And, uh, and Gordon Church becomes one of those prairie dogs in Dock Valley. Who, who, who's not even treated like a human. You know, he's torn apart like, like an animal. And he just deserves so much better. So,
0: I have to wonder if Gordon Church is aware of all this. And how healing this is and helpful to him. I don't know how that works.
1: I hope so. I, I think so. I I hope. I hope he knows that uh, that there are people that love him. I, I I assume, if if I was to to guess how the next life works, I I, I, I would just assume there's an abundance of love, and uh, and I hope I hope he just has that. All the time, you know, um, and I hope he, he knows that there are people that never met him in this life who wish they could protect him and help him. And, uh, and all we could do as filmmakers is, is tell his story and let other people know that there was a beautiful young man who was, who was cut short and, uh, and we hope our film honors him in every way possible.
0: I love your feelings about the next life, Jason, and there's just that constant love. And um, I think sometimes when we think about the next life and the resurrection, we just think physically and emotionally and spiritually we're made whole. But I would think some of our emotional pain comes with us to the next life and needs to be healed there. And certainly I think that's part of the next life. But I just, I mean, I have to think of Gordon Church watching this I forgot the name of your actor. Will you tell me it again? Uh, Joseph Bronca. Joseph, portraying him and the honor that brought to Gordon to have that brutal, unfair moment um, shared. I just have to think that that would be healing for Gordon. Yeah. I think
1: if you really think of the next life and uh, and the power of the atonement and uh, and Gordon being able to to be with his savior and to be able to to fully partake of the atonement in ways that we don't really you know we often think of the the power of the atonement for sin and uh, but uh, but the atonement, I believe has the power to take away that pain from from Gordon Church. I don't understand how that works, but i I imagine just a beautiful embrace between our savior and uh our savior who who had a very similar uh end to his life and uh and what that embrace would would be like for those two men and the love that they would have for for each other and and just i i hope in in this case that that the the atonement was was fast healing and uh and uh, I hope Gordon's able to look um back on this life not on on the last uh you know seven or eight hours of his life but but on the everything else that happened for the good in his life.
0: How did you find Gordon's friends, especially his boyfriends and I'm thinking it was very helpful for them to talk and share Gordon's story, someone they care deeply about and to and For them to hear this movie coming to life of a very difficult situation in their life.
1: Yeah, that's a uh, that's a great question. Uh, Chad Anderson, who is our other producer uh, and conducted most of the interviews for this uh, documentary. He before he came to us. And one reason why we agreed to, to produce the film is because of the amount of work that he had done. He had been in contact with all these people, reached out to them. He was actually working on a book about Gordon Church and, uh, and realized that this needed to be a, a documentary instead. And so he had done all of that work and had made all of those, those contacts. And so um, that his, his relationship with them and the work that he did, uh, he, he deserves all the credit in the world for, for the amount of, uh, of work that he did to make this film uh, happen
0: what do you if chad were here you what, what do you hope it, i'm using the word change improves with people with this film out is there kind of unwritten goals that you hope brings more understanding
1: yeah i think for me personally um i think there's a uh, i i there there's still violence against those who are lgbtq and i don't want to to minimize that um but one of the, the most horrific things uh, that happens to those who are LGBTQ is, is violence at their own hands through suicide. And, um, and if we can, as a society, uh, look at people like Michael Archuleta and Lance Wood and, and recognize the evil they did and then look at ourselves in the mirror and saying, "Are we?" pushing these beautiful people to kill themselves. Um, If, if we are pushing, if we're making life harder for these individuals, we're just as, as horrific as, as those two individuals. We may not be the ones um, um, actually killing them, but our actions are killing them. And uh, for me personally, who, who has a son who is gay, um,
0: suicide's my greatest fear I, I hate I hate worrying about my,
1: my son in that way I just hate it. it's so painful, it's so difficult all the work that we do with the, the support groups we run in our home and within our stake is to keep these kids alive and, um, and, um, and I know, I I know that, uh, if I truly examine my past and I've heard you examine your own past, we're, we're not spotless, right? Um, I, I grew up homophobic. I grew up in San Diego among a lot of, uh, uh, Hispanics and, uh, and was racist, and, uh, and it didn't take me long um, when it, on the school pra- playground to hear horrible things about uh, my Mexican uh, classmates, and then look at who they actually were to realize, wait a second, there's a disconnect here. These are, these are some of my, my favorite people in my class, and, and why am I supposed to, to hate them? Um, when I was in elementary school, I had, I had no gay friends that I was aware of. I did, I didn't know they were gay. Um, and so it wasn't until, uh, after my mission, until I started working with, uh, those who are LGBTQ and, um, uh, professionally and, and then interacting with them personally, uh, before I could, uh, remove that, uh, that stain for my life as, as well. But, uh, I don't, I don't think there's. No, I don't think we have an excuse anymore. I think, I think um, a lot of groundwork has been done, and now we just need to take action. And when we hear things that aren't right, we need to stand up and say, that's not right. Uh, and then we need to reach out and express love, invite those who are, who are queer into our home, uh, invite those who are transgender. I mean, it, it's easy to say that you're an ally, but how many times have you had dinner? With a with a transgender friend, how many times have you sent them a text, letting them know that that you love them and that you're thinking about them? Those are the things that are are going to make uh, a difference, and that's how we uh, prevent ourselves from from being like uh, Michael Archuleta and Lance Wood, um, not killing people physically, but but putting them in a position where they would rather take their own lives than be around us. Um, That's the change that I would like to see through this documentary.
0: Great answer. And I love the personal um, connection to this space you have in the heart of a father wanting the very best for your child and recognizing with kind of full eyes open the difficult road that Jameson walks. And you speak for a lot of LDS parents of LGBT kids that worry about the same thing. And I'm glad that you're talking about this in your family, that <laughs> you're kind of walking this road together and he knows you're an ally and and doing things. And I listened to the podcast. You could check it out, listeners, if you haven't already. Faith Matters with Tom Christofferson and Patrick Mason. Um, it came out in early September. They talk about some of the things you talk about, the rhetoric. It's often not physical rhetoric like um, Gordon Church and that horrific rhetoric, but often it's just verbal rhetoric. And I certainly hear that now as I try to hear things through the ears and eyes of LGBTQ people. So, um, getting some warning listeners on my audio, but I'll just ignore it because I don't understand warnings on my audio. Um, talk about, um, Gordon Church's family. I don't know if his parents are alive, siblings are alive. I don't know if you want to share any of that.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Uh, we reached out to Gordon Church's family several times, and uh, they denied all requests to to be in the documentary. And um, and one of the things that I really learned in this process is the the you don't stop mourning in a situation like this. Um, they are still in pain. 30 years later, it's still raw. It still hurts. Um, they owe our documentary, nothing. They, 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 there's, we, we can't say you have to do this. Uh, everyone gets to mourn in their own way. And, uh, and I would prefer that their story was in there. I would prefer that that Gordon had the voice of his siblings or, or mother, his father since passed away. Um, I, I believe that their voice is important and should be heard, but we can't control their voice. We can't control how they mourn. And so uh, we respect their decision not to be uh, a part of this film. So, But, a... but their, their voice is missed in this
0: film, certainly. How old would Gordon be? Do you know what year he was born?
1: Uh, in 1988, he was 28 years old. So that would be. So he would be six early sixties, early sixties.
0: Uh, he would still have a lot of life ahead of him in the early sixties, let alone at 28. So that's just a great, huge loss for our world. Um, other things you'd like to share. i I'd love you to share, um, as a closing segment, unless there's anything else you want to talk about, Jason, just how people find the film.
1: Yeah, it's, that's great. Um, obviously, we made this movie so that people could see it. And, uh, and we, we would love for, for people to, to see it. Uh, documentaries don't, uh, don't get released like, uh, like narrative films do. You're not going to find uh, uh, most documentaries, you're not going to find a theatrical release for. There's a handful, but most uh, go straight to uh, you know, back in the day on DVD. Now it's just a video on demand and streaming. Um, and so you can, you can get it. It's available uh, on iTunes. Uh, you can get it uh, on most uh, video-on-demand um, um, platforms as well. Um, you can also go to our website, uh, dogvalleymovie.com, and, uh, and then we have uh, links there where you can, uh, you can um, uh, see where to, to purchase the film and, and, uh, and view it. Um, you know, I think it's listed as a, uh, as a PG 13, um, our, our distributors made that choice instead of necessarily an MPAA actual rating. Um, I, I think, uh, if you look at what, uh, defines an R rated movie, uh, as far as, uh, those under 18, not watching it or not, shouldn't watch it without, uh, parental guidance or, or an adult. Uh, I would consider this film uh, a film that that children should not watch without uh, a parent in the room. Um, I I would not show this film to to young children. Uh, I would never show this film to a minor without an adult present. Um, I don't think that there's anything in this film uh, that should be avoided um, unless you are triggered by um by specific things uh dealing with this topic i think this is a film that should be seen that's important to be seen um but it is a film that uh that i would gather uh people around so that you can have a discussion about so you can see watch this film and go okay what can i identify in my life what changes can i make how can i be involved uh why did this happen in our society and let uh, let your children, let your spouse, let your friends have that discussion uh, together. Uh, Gordon's story deserves to be heard, and uh, I'm I'm so grateful and proud for the opportunity that I had to be a part of it. So, um, yeah, anybody who wants to to see it, we would we'd love for you to to see it. And then uh, uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it once you see it. If so, if your viewers see it and want to reach out. Uh, uh, to us, uh, we'd love to hear uh, their experience with the film and and how it's touched their lives. So,
0: how do people find you, Jason? Uh,
1: they can go to our website avalanchestudios.com. There's a hyphen between Avalanche and Studios. Uh, they can find me on Facebook, uh, Jason Conforto. Uh, I'm on Facebook there, and uh, that's I'm I'm old. I'm in my 40s, and so Facebook is my <laughs> is where I do my social media. I'm on the other ones just to communicate with my kids, but I don't uh, I don't spend time uh, many places other than Facebook uh, on social media.
0: Well, this is a really good podcast. I'm glad we did it. I'm glad more people can hear about Gordon Church. It's just the focus of this podcast is amplify stories, um, including somebody that's gone and murdered in such a brutal way and so that we can, when we know better, we do better. I love your call to action on what we can do. I love the idea of, of, in an age appropriate way, to have a discussion after seeing the movie and what we can do better and recognize there's LGBTQ people in all of our lives and all the re- anything. We should never say anything unkind about anybody. And we can just learn to do that on the playground in San Diego um, that didn't feel right to you way back then. I think we all, at the end of the day, want to find a way to love and support everybody. So, Jason Conforto, great job, great life work for what you're doing professionally and what you're doing in your personal ministry and what you're doing in your family. And this is Richard Osler and Jason signing off on of another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.